0: Well, welcome to the Start Church podcast
1: Beyond the Call. We are so excited that you've joined us today. Beyond the Call is the podcast resource from Start Church that's helping pastors and ministry leaders have the resources they need to be able to make decisions and lead their ministry to legal compliance. And in the studio today, we're excited to have Jared Stills. Jared Stills is one of our church plant consultants here. And uh, Jared, we're just glad you're joining us today.
2: Oh, it's great to be here. Appreciate it.
1: So we're going to be, in this series of podcasts, we're going to talk about a lot of the compliance and the legal realities for church plants and pastors and ministry leaders, and um, here's why. Uh, We feel like the church planter today and the pastor today is planting and leading a ministry in a significantly more legally binding and a legal-oriented environment. In fact, they're planting a church in the most
2: litigious society in the history of man, have you have you ever felt that with the planners you talk to, Jerry? Oh yes, absolutely. And on the phone calls, you know, dealing with pastors, dealing with ministry leaders, we often hear about you know challenges that they're facing, uh, different scenarios that they're encountering, and and just the the weight of that. Hey, we are here in America. You know, we are facing some certain changes and some laws and some things that we didn't realize were important. You know, here's what I'm finding out. Uh, Jesus said something amazing. He said that
1: we should be. Wise as serpents and harmless as doves, and I think the church has the dove thing down right. We'll take somebody who walks in and gets saved, and uh, the next week we'll put them over the offering, you know, or make them the head usher or something like that. Um, But Jesus said that there's also there's a wisdom. Uh, while the gospel does redeem, there's a wisdom that we need to have, especially in this hour as leaders, as pastors and ministry leaders, that in order to lead our ministries into not only biblical compliance, but also legal compliance. And I think the weight of that, I think the culture that we're in creates questions and pastors are asking the question, where can I go for legal help or at least some legal uh, insight and a trusted resource? And that's what Star Church is all about, trying to be an advocate for our customers, In this area. So we're really excited to be answering these questions. And we're going to tackle a big one today, Jared. And it is the question we get a lot. Does my church need to be 501c3 approved? Have you ever heard that question before?
2: Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, thousands of of pastors and ministry leaders that I've talked to, that is definitely one of the leading questions we get on the telephones in here. Is hey, I heard a story. You know, I don't need 501c3. I talked to somebody. They said, hey, you know, 501c3 is not required. It's not necessary. Uh, So we hear that a lot, and I think that creates tension and and a
1: sense for pastors of confusion. Well, do I need to get it? Do I not? Do I need to go through the process? And um, I think that exists because of a couple of what I call myths. The first one is churches are automatically tax-exempt. Jared, you, you've heard that plenty of times, right? Well, I'm a, I'm a church. I've got church in my name, so I'm automatically tax-exempt. But I'm not sure that's what the the code really says, is it?
2: No, actually, you're correct. So the fact that you are a church does mean that you can be tax-exempt without going through the formal 501c3 process. But what a lot of people miss there is in Section 508C1A—that's what governs, you know, churches that have not formally applied—there's a line in there that often gets missed. And what that is, is that's the fact that you still have to meet the requirements of Section 501C3. So whether you apply or you don't apply— there's no free pass. There's no, you know, I'm under the radar. Right. We have the same requirements.
1: I hear people, you know, the section of the code Jared just spoke about says churches that meet the requirements are automatically tax exempt. And, and I think people are skimming a lot today, you know, and just kind of going through the the motions when they read and they see automatically tax exempt. They see church automatically tax exempt. Great. Shut the book. But it says meet the requirements. And it's specifically speaking about the requirements that are laid out in Section 501c3 of the tax code that deals with tax-exempt organizations. And what happens is, uh, I've heard the term "free church." I'm a free church, right? So I'm free to do. Here's how it kind of comes about: They say I'm a church, so I'm free to run my ministry any way I want. And because I have the name "church" in my, uh, the word "church" in my name, I don't have to adhere to anything. But again, it's really not the case.
2: Right? Absolutely, and a lot of. With calls we get, you know, people say, "Hey, we're a free church. You know, we're not on anybody's radar. We don't want to be on anybody's radar." But what they don't realize is, when they got their tax ID number and they opened up their bank account, you know, you're on the IRS's radar. You know, those tax uh, ID numbers are regulated by the IRS, so they know you um, just because you've obtained that number. And Section 508 C1A is
1: really, you could say it this way: it's saying you're automatically going to be judged by that section of the tax code. In other words, it's not whether you call yourself a church or not a church in your name. It's you don't have to apply, to, but you still have to adhere, right? And so that section of the tax code is really important. In fact, one of the reasons I encourage a lot of pastors to apply for the 501c3 to go through the process is because it's through the process. Many of them get uh, oriented to the first time on what it even means, you know what do you even have to do to adhere to that section of the tax code? So I think that's the first myth. I'm automatically tax exempt. Shut the book and move on, which is really not true. The second one is the governmental control, and I think you mentioned that a moment ago. I think I think there's a, a, a tension in a lot of pastors' hearts where they feel like if I go through toward legal compliance, somebody from the IRS is going to come and tell me what I can and cannot preach or edit my sermons. Uh, have you seen that before?
2: Yes, absolutely, and that's another one of those things that we hear on a lot of phone calls is, you know, pastors hearing from someone else that if I get the 501c3, all of a sudden I'm losing control, I'm losing some of my freedom, some of those things. So in reality, you know, where your protection comes in is not through the 501c3, it's some of the other foundational documents, so things like your bylaws and your written doctrines, you know, that's where those protections are going to be laid out for that First Amendment. If you're just joining us today, you're hearing Beyond the Call, the podcast
1: resource from Start Church. If you have any questions today about the legal foundation of your church or compliance questions, feel free to give us a call at 844-641-5718, 844 844- 6415718 or you can join the conversation at startchurch.com. We've talked a little bit about so far about the call to uh, lead your ministry into legal compliance, dealing with the question, does my church need to be 501c3 approved? And we talked about some of the myths that keep people from moving in that direction. Jared, let's talk about some of the benefits. What would you encourage somebody
2: if they're say, well, why should I even consider applying? Why would you uh, why do most people decide to do that? absolutely so one of the big factors is gaining the trust in the community so oftentimes you know you have people that have been burned by churches or there's a a negative connotation to the church in the community and you want to be able to say, hey, we're a trusted resource. You can give to us and be confident. And you know what? If you want to go on to the IRS website, they actually have a website where you can search 501c3 approved organizations, You know, look us up by our name, here's our EIN number, and you're going to see that we're approved. We are have their stamp of approval as a charitable organization you can give to with confidence.
1: I've heard it said before, Jared, that the greatest obstacle the church planter has in a new city is to deal with the last church planter's Issues in that city, and I think trust is a major deal, especially when it comes to the area of finances. So you're preaching about tithing or raising funds for your church plant. I think whatever a church planter can do or a pastor can do to build trust in the community is huge, and showing that fiscal responsibility uh, is a big deal. What about guaranteeing tax deduction? I know that's a huge benefit.
2: Oh, absolutely! And this is there's actually an example that we had. Somebody called in. You know, towards the end of the year, it was in December one year, and and they said, hey, you know, we've got somebody that's looking to give a large gift, um, you know, several hundred thousand dollars, and they wanted to find out if we had 501c3 if we were tax exempt. And they had gone through our process earlier in the year and gotten some of the foundational documents done, but they did not go through the 501c3 process thinking, hey, you know, it's not something that's needed. And here they were facing this large donation at the end of the year, this opportunity for them to do some great things. And they weren't able to secure their 501c3 and and tell that person, hey, you can give to us. You know, we have that. And they called us, and and we're in a little bit of a panic and said, hey, we've got this large donation. We need our 501c3. And it takes several months to get that. So it's not something we were able to uh, help him with, unfortunately. And had he gone through the process earlier in the year... Uh, he could have secured that several hundred thousand dollars and used it for their ministry uh, the following year. So that's an important uh, distinction. Maybe you're just hearing that for the first time. If you haven't gone through the process
1: of applying for your 501c3 recognition, you cannot guarantee tax deductions to your donors. Now, the donor can take it. They can, they can write it off on their taxes. But the courts—in fact, there was a great court case, Branch Ministries versus Charles Rosati. The uh, courts ruled that when A member gets audited for their donations, and the donation uh, can be considered uh, tax-exempt until—but the burden of proof is actually put on the donor in order to actually take the full deduction in an audit. And here's what the judge actually wrote. Uh, They said this, a person who contributes to a church claiming tax-exempt status pursuant of Section 508C, which we talked about earlier, may deduct the contribution from his or her income, which sounds great, right? Hey, I can I made a donation to a, a, an organization holding themselves out at tax-exempt. Great, I can take it as a contribution from his or her income. But, and here's where it begins to shift a little bit, if the contributor is audited. he or she has the burden of establishing that the Church in facts meets the qualifications of Section 501c3. Again, that deals with automatic tax exempt. No, the, the exempt nature of the donation is based on the adherence of the organization to Section 501c3. And then it says this, In other words, because the Church had not previously been determined by the IRS to have met the Section 501c3 criteria, they never applied for it, there is no presumption that the church is tax-exempt under 501c3. In other words, there's an inability for the church to be able to say, I guarantee In fact, what happens is you put the burden of proof on the donor in the audit at that point, which becomes very difficult in fundraising. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? absolutely. Um, so that's that, that one thing, uh, building community trust, uh, guaranteeing tax deductions. What about other exemptions
2: that are possible? Sure. So we often get calls from individuals that are out purchasing things for their church, and they say, hey, you know, they said I could get this without paying the state sales tax. And they say, oh, fantastic. And they ask them to present something showing that they have that exemption. And they realize, oh, I don't have that exemption. What do I need to get it? And oftentimes to get that state sales tax exemption, there is a need to have Section 501c3 approval done first, before you can qualify. Um, Also, property tax exemption also works the same way. If you have that 501c3 in place and it's secured, uh, the likelihood that you're going to not have issues there definitely increases for you. And these are fundamental additions to your budget, essentially, because what happens if you're paying property
1: tax and paying sales tax, and then you become exempt from that, those are like additions to your budget at the end of the year. So if it's a 7% sales tax and you're in a state that allows you to take sales tax exemption because you're 501c3 exempt, uh, it's just a great blessing to your budget at the end of the day. Maybe you're just joining us, and you're hearing uh, some of this for the first time. Does my church need to uh, become 501c3 approved? And we talked about the myths that uh, it's not governmental control, and we talked about the the myth that a church is automatically tax-exempt, and how what's happening, the reason many churches have chosen to apply for the 501c3 is building community trust, guaranteeing tax deductions to their donate. To their donors in getting state-level exemptions. Jared, if somebody's out there and they say, well, what's the process if I do want to apply? I want to take my organization, my ministry, my church,
2: unto 501c3 exemption. What are the processes that I would need to work? Absolutely. So what we find, the majority of churches that pursue 501c3, the first step in that process is going to be applying for incorporation at the state level. So this is the first step Again, uh, when you do this, you create a corporate veil, you add some protection for uh, your donors, for you, your members, uh, the individuals that are helping you you know, plant the church. Um, you're also putting out there some of the intentions of the organization to license and ordain pastors and ministers and create that legal entity with the state. And those original documents actually have to be done in a certain way, right? Because the 501c3
1: application is going to review those articles of incorporation and make sure certain clauses are in there from the beginning, right? So Having a vision for a 501c3 to become tax exempt, really, you
2: need to start that at your first stage of documents. Correct? Yep, that is very true. And we often see that where you know somebody comes to us because they got rejected. You know, the IRS wrote them a letter, said, "Hey, you need to amend those articles before you can formally get wow. this approval." So that's step one in the process. And then the second step in the process is obtaining that tax ID number. So if you've never done that before, again, getting your FEIN in place, that's a, a key step in the process. That would be number two. That's that
1: Federal Employer Identification Number. Exactly. It sort of sounds like your uh, articles of incorporation are kind of like the birth certificate of your ministry, and the EIN is kind of like your
2: social security number, right? It's your its your financial history. It's what you will use to open a bank account. Exactly. And oftentimes we'll have churches that come to us that they already have their FEIN number in place. So that's one of those things we can, you know, again, either... obtain new for you or work with what, what's already there. And then the third step is having some bylaws. So this is an important document that's going to outline the structure, the governance of your organization. And this is another document that goes with the paperwork to the IRS to obtain that 501c3. Critical so part of it. Absolutely. We work with our organizations to make sure that you know everything is laid out there. Again, they have the option to obtain some things, and then the fourth step, there's corporate policies that are key. And this is another thing that the IRS looks at when they look at your 501c3 application. They want to make sure there's certain policies in place. And, again, this helps with how you handle the finances in the church. This is to protect your board of directors. And so we, you know, that's another step in our Start Right program that we provide. And then the the last step is that formal application Again, it's you know Form 1023. If you've ever seen it, it's about 26 pages when it's blank. By the time all the supporting documents go with it, it's usually somewhere between 70 and 100 pages. That's a big, big presentation there. How, how, how long does it typically take to fill out? Absolutely. So the IRS, you know, they'll say, hey, it's going to be about 150 hours of someone's wow. time to compile everything and get everything that's needed uh, to send that in. That's incredible. Well, how can Star
1: Church, if somebody's out there and says, I want to walk through those steps— Uh, How can Start Church be a resource
2: for them and help them through the process? Absolutely, and this is one of our specialties. You know, our Start Right program's been around for a long time. Uh, We've helped over 16,000 churches, you know, through the lifespan of, of how long our organization has been around, obtain that 501c3 status. And again, we guarantee the approval. So if you go through our process, you can have that guarantee that you're going to be approved. Where oftentimes, you know, if you go through um, uh, another resource, you know, somebody who, hey, I I helped the church, you know, five years ago go through this process, um, they're not going to be able to say, hey, I can guarantee that. And if the IRS comes back with questions, you know, when they get that application, we're here to help as, uh, again, somebody who can answer those questions and make sure that approval gets done. Well, thank you for joining us today for beyond the call the podcast resource from start church if you have any questions about the topic
1: we covered today please give us a call at 844-641-5718 844-641-5718 or you can email us at podcast at join us next week as we have our next topic helping
0: empower ministers to protect what god has called them to lead thank you for listening to beyond the call brought to you by start church If you have any questions about what you've heard today, please give us a call at 844-641-5718 or visit our website at startchurch.com. We hope you'll join us for the next episode of Start Church Beyond the Call. Start Church has helped thousands of churches and ministries protect what God has given them to lead. Check out our website at startchurch.com or feel free to call at 844-641-5718. We would be honored to serve you.